And let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to look at verses 13 through 17 today. Probably noticed a continuing theme in our worship this morning having to do with love and that that is our primary obligation as believers. We've been talking about that in the last several messages. The title of today's message is Love Made Complete. Let's read verses 13 through 17 of 1 John chapter 4 together. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Let's pray. Father, uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we ask once again that you'd open up our hearts and minds, you'd give us insight and understanding. And application, Lord, how we can cause these verses to come alive in our own lives. Bless this time of study in your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. By this we know that we abide, and as most of you probably know, abide means to live. By this we know that we abide or live in Him. So it's not just a Sunday morning service, it's a lifestyle living in Christ and Christ living in us. John's teachings, as you may have noticed, are all about knowing. By this we know. Not just we hope or we think that we abide in Him and He abides in us. We know. And John uses the word know an incredible 35 times in 38 verses of 1 John through 3 John. 35 times in those three epistles and 82 times in 65 verses in his gospel. Knowing was very important to John. It should be important to us. We're living in a world where fewer and fewer people really believe that it's possible to know anything for certain, for sure. Everything's gray. Everything's up for grabs. Everything's, I don't know. But John, speaking on behalf of our Lord, wants us to know. And John had to battle the Gnostic heresies which began to infiltrate the church towards the end of the first century. John lived all the way up to the end of the first century, close to 100 years old. And Gnosticism had begun to creep into the church. And that term, Gnostic, comes from the Greek word gnosko, which means to know. And the Gnostics claimed to know deep, hidden, spiritual mysteries that no one else knew. And if you wanted to know what they knew, you had to join their club, basically. That goes contrary to everything we read about in the New Testament, where Jesus came to make that which was hidden known, to bring that which was in the darkness into the light. Apocalypsos means unveiling, to reveal the revealing. And Paul teaches 
that things that were mysteries to Old Testament believers have been made known to New Testament believers. In John chapter 15, Jesus told the disciples, I no longer call you servants but friends because a master does not make known to his servants the things that he makes known to his friends. So for those who think God's trying to hide something from you, it's just the opposite. But that's what every cult group, every sect does. They claim to have the secret knowledge that can only be shared with those who become initiated into their group. It's an exclusivity that the Bible does not teach or promote. So John was battling Gnosticism and he emphasized tremendously throughout his writings the importance of knowing. And so in that one song we sang, one of the lines was, Love is knowing God. John 14, 19, Jesus said, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. Remember in Acts chapter 1, he ascended into heaven with the disciples staring up into space. A little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Now, how is that possible? If he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, how do we see him? We see him in the Spirit, in our hearts and in our minds as the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. You will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. So that deep, intimate relationship when we receive Christ, when we are born again by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And since the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that means God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit live inside of us. So our lives have become intertwined with God's. By this we know that we abide or live in Him and He lives in us because He has given us of His Spirit. Now, the ever-abiding indwelling presence of God's Spirit in us is what enables us to know that God lives in us and that we have new life in Him. You've heard that expression, I know that I know that I know, right? Have you ever used that? Well, that's very appropriate. And it's because of the Holy Spirit living in us. How many of you have heard of John Wesley, the founder of Wesleyan Methodism, the Methodist Church? And uh, his biography... Maybe it was an autobiography. I can't remember if it was a biography or an autobiography. But the story goes that John Wesley was a preacher for about 20 years before he actually was born again. At least by his own definition, his own uh, acknowledgement, John Wesley claimed that one day he realized that he wasn't saved. He wasn't born again. And then he had a true conversion experience, and he called it the inner witness. Because at that point, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of John Wesley, and then he knew that he knew that he knew that he was saved. Isn't that amazing? For someone who was preaching the gospel for 20 years, and then finally he obtained what he called the inner witness. I remember quite a number of years ago now, perhaps close to 20 years ago, 
I was meeting with a lady, and I believe my wife was there because I don't counsel women by myself. Not advisable. Mike Pence has taken a lot of heat for that. Mike Pence follows the Billy Graham program. You don't ever have lunch, dinner, breakfast, meetings alone with a female, someone of the opposite gender. Unfortunately, nowadays it's even more complicated than that. But at any rate, boy, the ladies on The View, Joyless Behar and so forth, criticizing Mike Pence for that policy. I think it's awesome we have a vice president with those kind of Christian morals and standards. But no surprise that the world would be offended by that. But yet, now, if Mike Pence was out there philandering, they'd go after him for that, wouldn't they? Because he's a conservative Christian. Now, if he was like Bill Clinton or some of these guys, they would applaud him for it. But nonetheless, I try to follow that policy as well. The Holy Spirit, the inner witness. How do we know that we know that we know? That we abide in Christ, that we live in Him and He lives in us? Because the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and we have that inner... Oh, I was going to share about that girl. So, in the course of this, she was a very young, frustrated, discouraged believer, or at least she thought she was. But as we were talking, she began to tell me how whenever she would read the Bible, it didn't make any sense to her. She couldn't get anything out of it. And I said, well, you know, God promises that He will give us understanding and insight into His Word. And that comes again through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Because God's Word makes perfect sense. If it doesn't make sense to you, that means you don't have the insight, the understanding, the spiritual dynamic at work to enable you to understand it. Remember when Jesus was teaching, he would teach in parables, and uh, the disciples said, why do, you, why do you do that? Why do you teach these parables? And Jesus said, because they will be ever hearing but never understanding. In other words, if you have spiritual insight and understanding, the parables are very understandable. They make perfect sense. But if you don't, then they won't. And so it's really a test to see if people truly have spiritual insight and understanding. Are they true believers or are they not? And so I told her at that point, I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And I said, you know, maybe we need to go back to the very beginning. If you can't understand the Bible... Maybe you're really, and I'm not trying to be offensive here, but maybe you're not really born again. Maybe you're not really filled with the Spirit, because if you were, you should be able to understand. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have the same level of understanding as a Bible scholar, a theologian, and so forth, but God gave His Word in such a way that everyone can have a basic understanding that would enable us to enter into a personal relationship with Him and to grow in that relationship. And so she... She bore witness with that. She says, yeah, let's do that right on. So we prayed, and she accepted Christ all over again. We're not promoting getting saved over and over again like Arminianism, which is what I grew up in, where every time you sin, you have to get re-saved. You only get saved once, but the indicator that you are truly saved is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and you know you are saved. And when you read the Bible, it makes sense. Because without regeneration, 
without transformation, our brains don't work right. And we can't understand spiritual things. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. The carnal man cannot understand the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned. Chapter 3, I believe. Could be chapter 2, somewhere right in there. John 14, 16 and 17, Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. He's speaking to the disciples here. I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. Disciples are all upset because he's saying, I'm going to go away. But he says, I'm going to give you another helper or counselor. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. That he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. There it is again. You can't receive the Spirit of truth unless you're born again. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. There's that word again. Know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Moving down to verse 26 of John 14. The helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. That sounds like being able to understand scriptures, doesn't it? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And we've talked about this before. That's another important theme in the writings of Paul and Peter, John. Remembering. Sometimes we forget. The Holy Spirit. Have you ever been sharing with someone, talking to someone, all of a sudden you spew out of a Bible verse you didn't even know you knew? That's the Holy Spirit bringing it to your remembrance. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. Right when we need it most. Wow, Lord, I really need help here. I need insight. I need something. Boom! The Holy Spirit brings it to your remembrance. But that's only if He's living inside of you. John 16, 13. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. Interesting, He will not speak on His own authority. And so there actually is a, for lack of a better term, I know there's a better one, I can't think of it, there's kind of a chain of command within the Trinity. Even though it's one God, three persons, the Son is always in submission to the Father. Remember Jesus said, I came not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. He was in the garden, He's praying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So we see in the scriptures that the Son is always in submission to the Father, and then the Holy Spirit's always in submission to the Son. See, He speaks not on His own authority, but by the authority of the Father and the Son. Just an interesting theological point to be made. And the point being this, that again, sometimes Christians can get things all out of whack. Now there's a Jesus-only movement. United Pentecostal Church, I'm not sure what other groups would fall under that category. They teach there's no Trinity. They don't believe in the Trinity. And they baptize in the name of Jesus only. No Father, no Son, or no, no Father, no Holy Spirit. And so they're real sticklers about this Jesus only thing. And then you have other groups 
Their whole emphasis is on the Holy Spirit. If you were to go to one of their services or one of their meetings, you would get the impression that there is nobody else in the Trinity except the Holy Spirit. You ever been in a place like that? Or seen those kind of places on TV? In order to properly fear God, honor Him, respect Him, we need to recognize who He is and how He operates. And according to the Scriptures, Father God comes first. Again, if your brain is getting a little tweaked right now, you're not gonna, you can't expect to fully understand this until you see Him face to face. And then it'll be like, oh, wow, okay, I get it. But not in this life. You're not going to fully get it. But God's made it known to us enough that we can understand it on a basic level as I'm explaining it now. The Son is always in submission to the Father. Holy Spirit's always in submission to the Son who is in submission to the Father. Why? Is, I can remember when my kids each got to that age. I think it was about three years old. Does that sound about right? Loki three? Everything is Why? Well, son, this, this, and that. Why? Sometimes we're like that too, right? With our Heavenly Father. Why? One day you'll know why. <laughs> now you have to accept things by faith. Not because they don't make sense. Not because they're contradictory. But your brain is just too puny to understand it. As is mine. And apparently as we get older, our brain shrinks. Like, when you get older, everything that you would like to... Well, I'm not going to go there. Okay. <laughs> the things we want not to shrink, shrink. And the things we uh, want to shrink, don't. So, I mentioned my belly earlier. So, Okay. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but who, whatever he hears from the Lord, from the Jesus, from the Father, he will speak, he will tell you things to come. If you haven't noticed, John is all about primarily two things. Knowing, yes, but within that context, truth and love. They go hand in hand. And that's why the world's idea of love is so twisted, so skewed, so out of whack, because you can't have true love without truth. They go hand in hand. And by the way, according to Ephesians 5.22, and we're talking agape here, by the way, the highest form of love, principled love, unconditional love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's agape. So again, gifts of the Spirit are given freely by God to every member of the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But love is a fruit. How do we get fruit? It grows on the tree, right? If the tree is not healthy, it will not produce fruit, or at the very least, it might be very tiny, shriveled up fruit, right? And if it's really unhealthy, no fruit at all. Jesus, remember, he cursed the fig tree because it had no fruit. So agape, folks, it's not something where God will wave his magic wand over you and sprinkle pixie dust on you, and all of a sudden you're brimming over with agape love. It's fruit. It grows up in you as you follow Christ, as you live with him, abide in him, and he abides in you. 
If you're not abiding, you're not going to produce much fruit, if any at all. And see, we've talked about these various forms of love, the eros, the phileo, the storge, the uh, carnal or erotic love, the sensual love, the brotherly love, phileo, storge, familial love. And somebody can be exhibiting those things, and so on the surface, oftentimes, they may appear to be the most loving people of all, but it is a surface, shallow type of a love. They can never go to the depth of agape without knowing God. And so they can actually have the appearance of love and be totally deceived. Or, and or, someone could be technically doctrinally, legalistically, theologically in the truth, so to speak, and yet without true agape love, according to the scriptures, according to the Apostle Paul speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's just a bunch of noise. 1 Corinthians, the love chapter, verse 1, Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and that is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I knew a, a good friend from the Jesus Movement days was a pastor in Tucson. His family moved to Cuba to be missionaries prior to the Cuban Revolution. He was there as a teenager, and he was a, a young man after God's own heart. And he had a desire to be able to do what he went there to do, to be a missionary, but he couldn't speak Spanish. And according to his own testimony, God gave him the gift of the Spanish language. God gives different gifts to different people. I've seen God give musical gifts. A good friend of ours, John Worthington, way back in the days when we first started the church, um, we needed a bass player. He played guitar. We did worship together. But he never played bass. So I said, John, uh, you're going to play bass. And I laid hands on him. and said, God, help John play the bass. And he got up and played the bass. How many of you ever heard of Andre Crouch? Great gospel singer, songwriter. Uh, I believe there's a documentary about his life on YouTube somewhere, maybe. Anyway, when he was a young man, his father was a pastor. And they needed someone to play piano in church. Andre never played piano. He's like, I don't know, 8, 10 years old, somewhere in that range. His dad says, Andre, go over to the piano. God's going to give you the ability to play the piano. Andre started playing the piano. God does this kind of stuff. Do you know that? The only reason we don't see more of it is because we don't have the faith for it. I did the same thing with my wife. I said, we need a drummer, Georgia. You're going to play the drums. I bought her a drum kit. We prayed for her. She started playing the drums. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. You believe that? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, agape... Not eros, not phileo, not storge, but agape. I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. Again, there are some who overemphasize the gifts of the Spirit. Pastor Chuck Smith, who prior to leaving this world and going to be with the Lord, was a strong believer and proponent of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's got a couple of good books. I don't know if we have either one in stock right now. One is called Charisma versus Charismania. And the other one is about grace. Or is it, what's the other Holy Spirit book? You remember? What is it? Living water. Living water, that's right. Another really good book on the Holy Spirit. 
If we don't have it, you can order it. Talk to Loretta Hedrick. Pastor Chuck grew up in the same denomination that I grew up in quite a bit before me because he's quite a bit older. But it was a very um, extreme Pentecostal group, if you will. And I remember growing up in church every Sunday morning. You could pretty much time it by your watch. At one point, the entire congregation would break out speaking in tongues. Now, being a little whippersnapper that I was, I thought they were all speaking Spanish. I didn't know what was going on. It wasn't until years later I figured it out. But there's some within the Pentecostal and charismatic community that teach if you don't speak in tongues, you're not really saved. That's not biblical. That's not scriptural. Paul says, I wish you all spoke in tongues because it's a lot of fun. I added the lot of fun part. I wish you all speak in tongues, but I'd rather you speak five words in a known language that people could understand and be blessed by. So Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, agape, I'm just a bunch of noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned as a martyr, laying down your life for Christ, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And yet if you go down through this list, almost everything in this list I would say, perhaps a majority or at the very least a plurality of believers probably emphasize all these things over love. The works. Good works. Good works are good, but only if they're undergirded, energized, catalyzed by love. The smallest, tiniest little good deed can have a much greater impact if it's undergirded by agape love than the greatest deed with no love behind it. We see this emphasis with all the apostles, all the writers of the New Testament, really, but especially John, whom we know as the apostle of love. Of course, Peter, we saw how Peter told us, above all, love one another fervently or intensely because love covers over the multitude of sins. Love made complete. Verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Notice again, we talked about that chain of command. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So John, here John harkens back to chapter 1, where he identifies himself as an eyewitness of the incarnation, sinless life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God. 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, that which was from the beginning. Does that sound familiar? John 1.1, 1, 1, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Where else have we heard that? Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. You see, it all starts with God. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, John says, we heard him speak, we saw him with our own eyes, we looked upon him, 
our hands have handled. Here he's referencing the resurrected Christ. We didn't just see him in his human form. We saw him in his post-resurrection form. Our hands, Thomas specifically, touched the wounds in his hand, the wound in his side. Concerning the word, big W, of life, the word. Jesus, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. John says, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Hearkening back to what he said in the very first verse of this book, we are eyewitnesses of the word of life. Verse 15, whoever confesses or acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Whoever confesses or acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. When Jesus was on trial before the, um, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, when they condemned him to death, they said to him, Tell us the truth. Are you the Son of God? Jesus says, yep. He didn't say yep, but trying to, you know, update it a little bit. Yep. And they went nuts. That's all we need to hear. We're going to kill him. He's going to die. Oh, come on, Jesus. Just tell us the truth. Are you the Son of God? Yep. What a setup, huh? What a setup. But here it is. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not enough to just acknowledge him as a good man, a good teacher, rabbi, you know, the seventh incarnation of the Christ consciousness. What was that chick's name up in Montana? She used to be on TV and she talked like that and she like in the Christ consciousness. You remember her? I can't remember her name. Uh, some of my best sitcoms are religious programs. Uh, if you know what I mean. See, here John adds another qualifier. We've talked about truth and love. But very specifically here, one must ascribe to, acknowledge, and believe in the deity of Christ. And that's what separates, pardon the gender-oriented expression. Ladies, will you forgive me? This is what separates the men from the boys. The deity of Christ. Okay, the women from the girls, if you will. Actually, I decided, you know, maybe we need to really move into the 21st century and make Calvary Chapel East a gender-neutral church. <laughs> no, but I have some terminology for you. Instead of sisters and brothers, it could be uh, bristers and southers. <laughs> no? no? Burls and goys? <laughs> you know I'm kidding, right? Okay. The deity of Christ separates the men from the boys, the women from the girls. There are scores of people who will give intellectual assent verbal acknowledgement to Jesus as a historical figure. Some people are so whacked out they won't even acknowledge that. That he's a real historical figure, which is undeniable. 
But if anyone confesses that Jesus is a good person, <laughs> Jesus is a good teacher, Jesus is a prophet, no, Jesus is the Son of God. We know that we abide or live in Him because He's given us the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Try this one on for size. I love this verse. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Very simple, very basic, but hey, would you agree with me that Jesus is Lord? Oh, yeah. Can you say Jesus is Lord? Yes. Jesus is Lord. Good test. No, I can't really say that. By the way, Lord means master. If you say Jesus is Lord, that means he's your master. He's in control of your life, is he? Yes. The deity of Christ, fully God and fully man. We know that we abide or live in him because he has given us his spirit, the inner witness. God abides or lives in him and he in God. You see, folks, no true believer in the one true God will deny the deity of his son. It's so simple. And yet many sects and many cults do exactly that. In fact, Pretty much down the line, every major cult group denies what? The deity of Christ. Hello. And yet we see weak, ignorant, uninformed, uneducated people join with these cult groups every day, many of them with a Christian background. Hello. If they don't believe in the deity of Christ and the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're not true followers of God. It's that simple. There was another one back in the day, The Way. There's so many of them. All the major cults, you can think of their names, you know who they are. Uh, we refrain from being any more specific today. I'm feeling like a nice guy today. I always feel like a nice guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Phew. <laughs> 1 John 2, 22 and 23. Who is a liar? Liar? You can't use that word. That's politically incorrect. That's bigoted. That's prejudice. That's you can't. God used that word. Who is a liar? Okay, who is a liar? He who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the person that denies that is a liar. Why? Because God is the truth. The Holy Spirit speaks the truth. And if you disagree with the Holy Spirit, guess who the liar is in that equation? You. And that's what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, by the way. I, again, I will refer to my beloved Pastor Chuck Smith, who cleared it up for me years ago. A lot of people ran around worrying, Wow, I hope I didn't blaspheme. What if I committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? There's no hope for me. I can't be saved. First of all, if you're worried about it, you shouldn't worry about it. Get it? If you're worried about it, that means your heart's in the right place. But secondarily, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit 
It's to call the Holy Spirit a liar. And what is the Holy Spirit's number one job? To tell you the truth about Jesus. He's always whispering in your ear, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Son of God. And if you're always saying, no, he's not, then you're the liar. And you're calling the Holy Spirit a liar. And if somebody dies in that condition, that is the unpardonable sin. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This simple. Here you go. Here's a, just a very simple definition you can take with you. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is denying Jesus unto death. If you go to your deathbed denying Christ, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and you will go to hell. Hello? There it is. If everybody asks you, now you can tell them. And you can take it to the bank. Verse 16. We have known and believed, or one translation says, rely upon, I like that. We have known and rely upon the love that God has for us. What do you rely upon? We should be relying upon the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. John says, we have known. There it is again. We didn't hope or think or suspect. We've known and believed that love that God has for us. This is, should be a tremendous comfort for anyone who has ever doubted his or her salvation. The devil will try to get you to do that. Has that ever happened to you? the devil ever come to you and try to tell you you're not really saved? Who do you think you are? You really think God loves you? Who are you trying to kid? After what you've done? You ever heard those kind of, you know who's saying that, don't you? But here's what you rely upon. Well, you can even tell the devil, you're right, devil, I'm a slimy, vile, wretched sinner. But you know what? God loves me. And Jesus died on the cross for me. So get thee behind me, in Jesus' name. But I skipped the rest of John 2, 22 and 23, I think. Let's read it again. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is anti-Christ. So Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. He, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father and all the angels in heaven. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Uh-oh. There's a lot of people out there that will acknowledge, acknowledge the existence of God, whoever or whatever he or she may be. And I don't, what, okay, what are they going to do with that now? Now that we're all gender neutral, all of the... Uh, New Age, feminist, Wiccan folks who want to identify God as a she, but, but now there's no gender, so how, what are they going to do? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He, wa he wasn't a he for them, and now but he's a she, but he can't be a she because there is no he or she. We'll see what they come up with next. Crazy. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. 
He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. John 14, 6, there it is again. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. No one comes to the Father but by me. So there again, so simple. People searching, looking for the truth, trying to find their way. It's so simple. There's one way to the Father, and that's through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's not fair. What would you prefer? No way? Many ways won't work. There's only one way. Take it or leave it. Love it or leave it? See, the truth hurts sometimes unless you embrace it and then it feels real good. Right? Do you love the truth? That was kind of weak. Do you love the truth? Okay, that's good. Jesus is the truth. And we have known. Again, tremendous comfort. Anytime the devil or anybody else tries to cause you to doubt your salvation, if you have sincerely confessed Jesus Christ as the risen Son of God and the Savior of your soul, then you are saved, forgiven, redeemed, washed in the blood of the Lamb, period. Stand on that. Remember that song, Standing on the Promises? Standing on the promises of God. We have known and rely on the love God has for us. We don't rely upon our feelings. We shouldn't. How dumb that is. Since we're being politically correct, as we all, incorrect as we always are. How dumb that is to rely upon your feelings. Can't rely upon your good works. Because no matter how many good works you do, they will never be enough to reach God's standard of perfection. And um, for most of us, I would say, if, when push comes to shove and all the good works and bad works are placed on the scale, we'd be extremely fortunate if it just comes out level. That would be a best-case scenario, right? It's much, much more likely that it'll be like, <clears throat> like that. And this is the good over here. Right? Brr. We rely on the love God has for us. And then John says, God is love. God is absolutely reliable because he is the source of all true, genuine, principled love. Again, as we look at John's, interestingly, we look at his two highest principles, truth and love, we find, again, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Remember, Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? Fortunately, we have that answer. Jesus is the truth and his word, God's word, is the truth. God is love. God is truth. If he truly lives in us, this is one of the most important things I'm going to say this morning. If he truly lives in us, we will be in possession of both. Love, truth. 
truth, love. If he truly lives in us, we will be in possession of both. And he who abides or lives in love abides in God and God in him. So you see, from the world's point of view, I think we all know this, love is a feeling. In fact, some of the original words to that song we did this morning that I rewrote, it says love is feeling, feeling love. But it's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. From the world's point of view, love is a feeling, an emotion, something that comes and goes. I don't love you anymore. That's not agape. That may be eros. Could be some phileo, some storge thrown in there, but it's not agape. Because agape is unconditional and agape goes on and on and on. Remember the old deal with the flower? You take the flower. He loved me. He loved me not. Remember, he loved me. And then you just hope that it winds up on the right one. That's not agape. You see, from God's perspective, I think we already know this, love is a way of life. The life of Christ being lived out in us and through us. Final verse, John 4, 17, 1 John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us or made complete. That's what it means. When it comes to you and I, and the Bible talks about being perfected, we will never be perfect in this life. The meaning is that we will be complete. Mature. And that's a lifelong process. Love has been perfected among, among us. Now notice, now John takes it to, uh, from the individual, in God, God in him or her. Now he says, among us. Let me read that from the NIV. I like the way it translates here. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. The New King James says boldness. I like confidence better. We will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Is that true? Are we? This is how love is made complete among us. Here John moves from the individual to the corporate, us. Now, first point to be made here is that none of us have problems loving ourselves. Right? Galatians 5.14 The entire law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, in the Bible, it's a given. Self-love is normal, natural. Obviously, it can be taken to extremes. But every time you bathe, take a shower, brush your teeth, have a meal, clothe yourself, those are acts of love. You're taking care of yourself, right? When you do the same for others, you're loving them. So the Bible doesn't say, as the world does, well, before you can love anybody else, you've got to learn to love yourself. Well, if you take that frame of mind and that frame of reference, you'll spend the rest of your life learning to love yourself more and more. And there's a lot of people doing that. Now, in the Bible, it's a given. God already knows you love yourself, so quit trying to hide it. Quit trying to fool everybody. 
Oh, I'm just little old me. I'm nothing. <laughs> What's one of the most popular phrases in our world today? What about my needs? So the Bible goes straight, cuts to the chase. God knows you love yourself. All the entire law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just treat your neighbor the way you treat yourself. Now, I know there are some people with some issues and some problems and, you know, that uh, have uh, been subjected to abuse and so forth, but we're speaking generally that most people, although the world is getting worse and worse, let's acknowledge that. There's so much verbal, physical abuse, all kinds of abuse that a lot of people are struggling with these issues. But, on the whole, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, in the New Testament, we're told to put others before ourselves. That's agape. And according to John, writing on behalf of God, it's loving one another that causes God's love to be made complete in us. We are not an island unto ourselves. We are part of the church of God, the body of Christ, the family of God. We are interconnected. And for those who choose to avoid that connection by not being part of a local body of believers, then they are not really being made complete in love, folks. I'm sorry. It can't happen unless you're connected with other believers. That's the way God designed it. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about one person being a hand, another being a foot, and so forth. God has designed his church in such a way that it takes all of us to make a whole body. Love has been perfected among us in this. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Wow. Even above faith and hope. It's loving one another, folks, that causes God's love to be made complete among us. Until we are actively engaged in giving and receiving agape love. Some people struggle more with the giving part. Other people struggle more with the receiving part. Neither one is right. We're obligated to love one another, but we're also robbing someone else when we don't make ourselves recipients of that agape love. If you're like standoffish, avoid everybody, hide out, you may have your reasons, but you're going to have to get past that. You're going to have to ask God to help you. You're going to pray that the Holy Spirit helps you to come out of your shell or whatever you want to call it and start giving and receiving agape love if you want to be made complete in Christ. Let's stand. And for those of us who kind of already are functioning in that way, maybe we need to be a little more aggressive in chasing after people who are trying to get away from us. <laughs> Don't let them do it. Go get them. Make them receive your love whether they want it or not. <laughs> Jesus certainly pursued us, didn't he? He came all the way down from heaven and he died on the cross.
so that you and I could love one another. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. I guess, Lord, we probably don't emphasize it enough in the church, in our individual lives, and then when it is emphasized, it's really kind of flaky and maybe what we call sloppy agape. Lord, we need to love like Jesus loves. Sometimes it's tough love. Sometimes it's very soft, gentle, compassionate love, but it's always love, and it's always unconditional. And Lord, your word says that loving one another is what makes us complete in Christ. Yes, each one of us must make our own decision, our own profession of faith in Christ. No one else can get saved for us. But once we are saved, we are now part of the universal body of Christ. Lord, you're not calling us to be lone wolves, mavericks, islands unto ourselves. You're calling us to be connected to the body of Christ on a very meaningful, intimate, local level. That automatically connects us with the entire global body of Christ. But Lord, we must participate in a very meaningful, intimate, local way. Help us to do that. Lord, most of the folks here today are already doing that. Maybe some more consistently and more regularly than others. Lord, in the scheme of things, in this busy, fast-paced life that we live, our opportunities are few and far between. We need to make the most of every one. So I pray that for our church, we would be very committed and dedicated to you and to one another, making relationship, fellowship, interaction a high priority so that we can be made complete. Your love can be made complete in us. We thank you that you've made that possible, that you've given to us your Holy Spirit. I pray for anyone here today, Father, who may not be born again. As we've talked about this this morning, perhaps they've come to the realization and recognition that they've never truly been born again. Maybe they've been religious, maybe their whole life. But just like John Wesley, who was a preacher for 20 years without the inner witness, just like that young lady who couldn't understand your word, and then we both realized, well, maybe you need to be born again. Lord, if there's anyone here today like that, please draw them by your spirit that they might come up, receive prayer, receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, for others who may need to recommit or rededicate their life, that they would step forward today and make that decision. For those who desire the infilling of the Holy Spirit to be filled from head to toe, to have the gifts of the Spirit operating in their life. Whatever it might be, Lord, which draw people by your Spirit, help us to take advantage of this opportunity, this moment in time, before we leave this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.